Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my devilish co-hosts. Oh, boy. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, an elven refugee who just wants to make some new friends. Oh, I love friends. <laughs> That's nice. That's real nice. We stumped him. <laughs> and I'm Jack Olander, a magical girl that was turned into a blobfish by my professor. Oh. Real shame that. Yeah. <laughs> These things happen. It's all part of the education process. Yes. Well, guys, I'm really excited because tomorrow's my birthday, but also <laughs> this week we get to talk about episode two of season one of The Witcher. One of our, I believe, favorite television shows? Yeah, and this one's called, the title of this episode is called Four Marks. So, Four Marks was directed by Alex Sakharov and written by Jenny Klein. And we, I know, have a lot to say about this episode. But first, why don't we do a quick little summary, just to remind our listeners what this episode is all about. And it will be a quick one. Last time... We got a little carried away because we were just so excited. I don't be, know what you're talking about. <laughs> getting into this. But this time I've actually like got it all figured out. Well, that's good because this is a very complicated show. So in this episode, we... Continue with series Flight Out of Sintra. Mm -hmm. um, after the invading armies of Nilfgaard <laughs> laid the city low, she meets a friend in the forest who helps find food and helps lead her through the forest. Uh, he's not very talkative. He is, in fact completely non-talkative until the very end of the episode. Yeah. Non-vocal, I should say. Or non-verbal. She, she meets up with some other refugees. Uh, other refugees from Sintra. A noble family of, let me check my notes here, assholes. Yeah. They kill elves for sport. And, and they mistreat their servants. Yeah. And they take her in, but then the Nilfgaardian army finds her there, and her elven friend helps her escape before she can be captured again. Now, we also get to see a little bit more of what is going on with Geralt. It's sometime later in his timeline, uh, which we know from the first episode is on a different trajectory than series timeline. We had some clues that we shared last time about that. And... So he meets a new friend, Jaskier the Bard. Jaskier. Jaskier the Bard. <laughs> They're not Scandinavian. <laughs> <laughs> and Jaskier kind of outs him as a witcher and 
this one farmer. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I love that he's outed as a witcher as he's sitting there with his white hair and cat eyes. <laughs> and yeah. Everybody's just like, oh, who's that strange fellow? Doesn't matter. Wait, that bard says he's a witcher? <laughs> but instead of running him out of town, this one guy actually hires him and has money and pays him and Geralt's like, well, I guess I need the marks. I, I better do it. And he doesn't look very happy about it. 150 ducats sounded like a lot of money. Oh, yeah, it was ducats. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i just saying, like, this dude was just carrying that change around. So I guess I, it's either not that much money or... Well, it it was the whole community wanted this monster gone. They they said it was a the devil of Posada. And he yeah. was stealing grain from their fields. And so they hire Geralt. So I assume it's like the whole community pulled together. Yeah, this dude's just carrying it around in his uh, in his tunic, though. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the novel, they explain that it's more of a bowl collection and that they've actually been looking f- to hire someone for quite some time. I think that and I remember that. And they finally had yeah. Geralt come in. Yeah. Right. And but this so, is a good quick setup for the show. Yeah, Geralt goes out to fight this devil he knows that he says devils don't exist jaskier follows him there's some uh comedic banter between the two of them because Geralt really doesn't want jaskier to be around and but jaskier does coin Geralt's probably most famous nickname the white wolf yes because he realizes that Geralt does not like the name the butcher of blaviken yeah, because uh, Geralt punches him in the stomach. And we know from the previous episode why he does not like this title, because it is the one he gained from killing Renfrey. Yeah. And her <laughs> band. And he Big actually bummer. cared about her, and that name is a reminder of his uh, the own darkness within, and it's kind of like an unfair title in a way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we talked about it last week, how he kind of, I mean, Renfrey very much forced him to kill her, basically. Yeah, so. They it's fi- complicated. <laughs> they find out that the devil is actually a Sylvan, and they're, uh, Geralt and Jaskier are taken hostage when they're surprised by some of the Sylvan's allies, who turn out to be a company of elven refugees who escaped what is called the Great Cleansing, which was a time when the humans basically committed genocide against the elves some years before. And just like, if you're watching this episode, like that is the event that ties all of the timelines together for this story, for this set of stories. Right. Uh, eventually, Geralt kind of con- seems to convince the leader of the elves, Philavandrel. The king, the former king of the elves. Yep. That he's not human, but he's learned to work with the humans so that he can have a life himself. And he tries to convince them to resettle somewhere and start a new life for themselves. And Ger- to basically forfeit their ho- their claim on their homelands that the humans had pushed them out of. Geralt's like, look at these humans, they're dumb. We can work with <laughs> You can take advantage of them. Just kidding. That's, yeah. not even, that's not really how he does it. But. So we cut to another scene later and see that the elves let him go. So Geralt's speech must have worked. And that's when we get uh, Yaskier's... Jaskier? Jaskier's... Yaskier. Uh, epic song about Geralt. You can call him Dandelion. 
Yeah, that might be easier, but he's called Jasper. Yeah, that's, that would be that would be really confusing. So, yeah, we get the uh, toss a coin to your Witcher song. It's so good. So good. It's so good. It's really it 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 creates a well of emotions for me. I really enjoy the song. Me too. And we get a new set of stories in this episode. Uh, with the character Yennefer. Yay. Yay, Yennefer. <laughs> we foreshadowed her in the first episode, and now she's here. Yeah. It's almost like we knew she would be here. <laughs> My God. She comes from humble beginnings and... Vengegaard, right? Yes, but she is, she's the daughter of some pig farmers. And she accidentally uses magic to get out of being beaten by some local bullies. And the rectress of Aratusa comes to claim her and buys her for four marks. And that's where we get the name for the episode. And that is a, um, I mean, besides the fact that Tissaia, the rectress, is buying another human being, four marks is a very... <laughs> I don't know how to say this right. It is humiliating and horrifying that Yennefer is sold by her adoptive father. But the worst part, I guess, is that he sells pigs for 10 marks. Yeah, so it, it just, it adds insult to injury, so to speak, because it kind of weighs on Yennefer that she was sold first of all. At all, right, which is, again, horrifying. This is We're talking about slavery. And... That it was for so little, so she make, feels even more worthless because of that. And Jack kind of pointed out in this moment that, like, everybody in this world is such a dickhead. <laughs> Except for Geralt and Jaskia. And Yennefer is, was born with a curved spine. And so she has a lot of insecurity about this and thinks that she can never be loved. And she... A big thing for Yennefer is to have control over her life. And so maybe we should put in a warning. So she's struggling to learn magic. She's taken to this school, Tor Lara, or the Tower of the Gull in Aratusa. It's a school where they t train witches. And they all seem to be female trainees at this oh, school. Are they? Because uh, isn't Istrid there? Istrid is in one of the ruins nearby. Okay. And he was trained at the Banard School, where they train wizards, male wizards. Hmm. So it seems like witches and wizards are trained in different schools, at least in certain parts of the, the world. I think I'd like to be a male witch. Then again, I do not care for Tissaia's teaching style. Yeah. The one that involves a lot of abuse and... Uh, physical torment. Yes, she's very hard on her students. Uh, it's it's a different world, you know. Um, she does not care for the safety of her students. She expects, it seems, to actually lose students along the way and have some maiming happening. That's just the way it was back then. In mm -hmm. the fantasy times. <laughs> yes, in magical fantasy witcher times. This right. is actually set in the future, I believe. Oh, nice. You serious? Or maybe the present. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, all of the humans in this setting are from Earth, right? 
I don't know. And they went to another universe. This is kind of like a Narnia scenario, I'm pretty sure. Holy shit. Really? I'm pretty sure they're Narnian. Wasn't that what uh, he was talking about? How humans came to this world and were taught magic by the elves, and now they're kind of taken over? Um, it was the conjunction of the spheres. Humans and monsters emerged. That's all they said. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they Narnia'd over there. isekai into that world. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where I heard that. Maybe it was just that part of the show. Uh, I might need to be fact-checked on that. However... It's interesting. Yeah, well, I'm don't... I'm pretty sure it's a bit of an Arnia. Don't worry. If you get it wrong, uh, the internet will gently correct you, I'm sure. That's nice. <laughs> so, Jamie brought up Istrid. That is Yennefer's friend. She first met him when she accidentally portaled before she came to the school. They're friends, but seems like they both maybe want a little bit more. Exactly. Wink, wink. And nice. I'm winking right now. So they get closer and closer over the weeks and months of her training. It's a major struggle for her. She wants to excel in something. I'm talking about Yennefer here. And she always feels like she's behind her peers. In the end, the teacher, Tisea, says that they're actually very similar. And We're not so different, you and I. Oh, and God, that means Tisea's the villain. I mean, we already knew that. But. We kind of knew that. In the end, turns out, Tisea has been grooming Yennefer to be one of her most powerful students. She saw great power and potential in Yennefer, but she didn't really let on. She played it very close to the chest. And uh, at the end, she stops calling Yennefer Piglet. She calls her by her name. And that's when there's a great tonal shift in their relationship. Which is still one rooted in abuse, just so we're clear. Yes. Uh, Tisea turns some of Yennefer's peers, fellow students, into eels to be conduits of power for the Academy. And Yennefer... Bummer, man. We get the assumption that Yennefer is due to ascend, to be able to take the final test to become a full witch. Uh, and we find out after she's learned how to create a portal using an elder form of magic from her friend Estred, that both of them are being forced to spy on one another by their teachers. <laughs> it's a real spy versus spy scenario. Yeah. And Yennefer's timeline might be different from the other two. It's not really clear yet in this episode. Uh, as far as I remember, there's no like really overt marker of her timeline compared to the rest in the dialogue like there was in episode one right yeah it's kind of stands on its own for now but eventually it is going to become entwined with the other two yeah and i think that's about it for now we should go into our discussion all right well that was an awesome summary why don't we get into talking about this episode because i'm really excited to delve deeper into it as it were uh, yeah. uh, you see what no. i did there uh, nice delve uh-huh Look at, mm -hmm. look at that. Wow.
All right. So before we get too far into the episode, I do want to give our listeners a few trigger warnings because this is The Witcher and this show can be a bit rough at times. Uh, It covers a lot of sensitive topics and there's some, um, you know, potentially problematic moments. So I just want to say we're going to be probably discussing some self-harm, some types of abuse that go on throughout this episode and some other sensitive matters. So just wanted to let give people a little bit of pre-warning for that. We'll try to, of course, cover all this stuff in a sensitive way because they are sensitive topics. So let's get into it. I mean, some of the main themes of this and probably all of the <laughs> episodes is abuse. i mean i guess it's a that is an element of what i was gonna say uh is power and control yes abuses of power and it's something that jack brought up last time who has the right to control their own fate and that kind of continues on into this episode as well and last time jack you said that Geralt and Renfri are victims of their own destiny, and in fact that they are plagued by it. Mm-hmm. Nice. And I kind of thought about what you said, and I, I thought about Yennefer. Mm-hmm. And she kind of starts out this way. She's the victim of fate, but she then tries to take control of her own destiny. She, being able to control her own fate and path in life is a really important thing to her, as I mentioned. And and we see the first instance of this in a difficult moment right after she has just been purchased, which is a really devastating Again, it's slavery. Experience. She's sold into slavery. Yes. And for four marks, and she repeats that, she whispers that, punches a mirror, and then uses one of the shards to try to commit suicide by slitting her wrist. And when Taseya is admonishing her for this later because she, uh, Yennefer was saved from this fate, which is another way of taking control away from her on Taseya's part, actually. Yeah. Yennefer told her, at least I had control over that. She wants so desperately to be able to have a say in what happens to herself. And that, I feel like that is something we could all identify with. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think Yen's whole arc throughout this episode is, I mean, I think it's pretty relatable for anybody who's ever felt, you know, undervalued or underappreciated. I mean, obviously we are talking extremes here with the way that the, the episode carries on for her. But I mean, you know, we get the story later on in the episode about her father being half elven and, you know, he is killed for his, you know, for for being an elf, for he his race. He was killed in the Great Cleansing. He was killed in the Cleansing. Again, that is the, the thing that ties all these three stories together in this episode. And she is, you know, left with this other family who treats her terribly because she was born with a curved spine and she lives in a really shitty town where people are terrible to her because of this condition she has been 
mistreated and abused and talked down to bullied by her peers bullied by her peers i mean that's how we that's how we open up this episode yeah we don't even know what they're going to do to her but it's so bad that she is afraid for her life or her well-being and that is how she gets this first event in her life where she realizes that something about her is actually more powerful than her peers more powerful than her abusive step family she teleports herself into the tower of the goals she literally creates magic from trauma and turns her abuse into kind of like a gateway to her power you know i just want to interject real quick as we learn later in the episode that turning the chaos of this raw energy into magic yes exactly exactly you need to have something to balance it with to be able to have that control over the chaos and so to be able to create that portal this has implications for what she used instinctively to create that balance before she knew that was a thing so did she fucking suck the life force out of her bullies to be able to create a portal to somewhere else? Oh, shit. She might have killed those two. I mean, I guess I would think of maybe it was the flower, right? Because she had the flower. She and- was holding the daisy. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Yes. And later on, she tries to eat the daisy to gain power from it. Well, because she saw Istrid using that technique. Right. But I mean, but- we have this theme of flowers throughout Yen's story, mm-hmm. especially because... Tasea says that sometimes a flower, the best thing a flower can do is die. Yes. Which, mm-hmm. at first, Yen thinks that she's basically saying, you, Yennefer, are worthless. You might be better off dead. But later on, we kind of get this change in tone from Tasea that's like, no, like, you have the power to kind of, in some ways, judge whose life is of value. Yeah. Which is a horror, again, it's a horrifying implication there, but it is thematically fitting to what this character has gone through up to this point. She wants that control. So getting to be the arbiter of life and death is a huge attractant to Yennefer. Yennefer has such a thirst for power and control that she actually in the end, doesn't mind that her friends were turned into eels because it means that she's more special. Right. And Mm -hmm. she has been chosen to ascend. It's like they say in the show, sometimes the best thing a young woman can do is swim as an eel in my milky moat forever. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know if they're forever batteries. I'm assuming that the eels, like, get used up. Eel lifespan and have to be replaced. Like based on the general flow of the show, I imagine that those eels, who are young mages, must be replaced yes. frequently. Yeah, I think so. The, there's like an orb in the castle that notifies you when the batteries are getting low. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, better hire in some new recruits. So what Jamie was talking about with Yennefer's emerging power is in the narrative of the show called a conduit moment. Oh, hype. When an individual realizes that they are a conduit for the chaos, which means they can tap into the chaos, this elemental force, 
that can create magic. That's not magic itself. And that means they have the potential to be able to wield magic, but they have to go through rigorous training and testing to see if they have what it takes. And I do like how one of the tests of one's ability to channel chaos is to literally catch lightning in a bottle. I thought that was clever. That was. And Metaphor. when, yeah, when Yennefer goes to do this, she pulls the bottle away at the last second and pulls the lightning into herself. And that seems like it's even more powerful than the test of putting it in a bottle. She was able to effectively contain it in herself without dying or shitting herself. <laughs> I mean, we don't know that she didn't shit herself. Okay. There's no, oh, no. we can neither I shit. <laughs> we can neither now confirm lightning. Bitch. We can neither confirm nor deny that she shit her bed. And when Tasea, the teacher tells another one of the students to show them how it's done, and this other student catches the lightning in the bottle successfully, Taseya basically infers that Yennefer is weak, and that makes Yennefer so upset that she actually redirects the lightning in her body towards her teacher and tries to kill her. And the teacher yes. effectively redirects it up the shaft where the lightning is coming from. Then she chastises Yennefer, but it's kind of like... Oh, you know, you should have hit harder, kind of like. Yeah. <laughs> it almost feels like she's like, oh, you know, if you were stronger, you could have actually fucking killed me. But no, 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 not this time. But that's mm -hmm. also a moment that she uses to identify with Yennefer and to kind of reveal that they are very similar in the way that they approach magic uh, on an emotional level. The not so different you and I moment. Yeah. And that's the first time Yennefer seems to realize that maybe she's being singled out for something more yeah when they're talking about she's like you were weak there yennefer and she's like really looked pretty strong to me with that lightning bolt and yeah. she's like oh yeah then why'd you shit yourself <laughs> <laughs> but then you know exactly it's the whole thing where they relate because of their emotional struggles and that's why yennefer's special yeah so continuing with this control and power theme, I think we can talk about the great cleansing and the conjunction of the spheres. Oh, so, Which we don't know a whole lot about. We don't know much about the conjunction of the spheres yet. Well, we get some lore and backstory from the elves, from Estred. So in different timelines, everybody's talking about this. And we also get some information, although less direct information, from Ciri's timeline. So what from what little we did get, we can glean that the great or the so the first event was the conjunction of the spheres out of these two that we're talking about. So this was a time in the past when humans and monsters suddenly emerged into the world and we're not sure exactly if this lore indicates that they were pulled from another universe or they were just brought into being from the chaos. It's unclear. This is the world of magic. Crazy shit happens all the time. Before they emerged, the elves were the ruler of this world. And they were the primary sentient beings of this reality. They, they said that the lands were ruled by the elves. 
before the humans and monsters showed up. So The elves were running shit, is what it comes down to. Yeah, but they weren't using all those nice, lucrative resources they were sitting on. Yeah, just a total waste, right? Well, <laughs> so the elves wielded magic from chaos. And they created the Tower of the Gulls, where Istrid uh, does his research. Exactly. They are the ones who taught humans how to wield chaos as magic. And once humans realized they could wield this power source for themselves, they wanted to guard it for themselves. They wanted to control this resource, this source of power. And they were very jealous about it. They waged a war against the elves. Classic human. And this was the Great Cleansing which was the genocide the humans committed against the elves and continue to commit. Humans, all humans seem, well, not all, but there is this rhetoric where many humans seem to feel like it is their duty to continue this feud. Well, yeah, because the story has clearly shifted. And by the time we get to series timeline, which we you know know at this point is like the furthest in the future of all the stories that we're following yeah the other centrins are like the elves are just trying to kill us and we need to fight the elves because you know fuck them they are just trying to take our lands not addressing the fact that you know however long ago in the past the humans literally committed genocide against them yes and the dominant narrative has conveniently changed to favor the humans in who were actually the original aggressors. I mean, so much so that the son of the noblewoman who takes in Siri in, in her timeline is wearing a string of elf ears around his neck. And he's like, oh, I'm an elf killer. I'm going to become a knight and I'm going to protect our kingdom from the aggressors of the elves. It's like, well... That's not exactly the truth, but it's certainly the dominant narrative that yes. the elves are the aggressors. Yeah, they've been pushed to the periphery called the spine of the world, and they're basically refugees living in caves to try to preserve their what's little is left of their culture and their people. Where did you hear that the elves were starting a war with humans? Oh, you know, from the town crier. Fox? Yeah, Fox, the town crier. <laughs> So in this storyline of this show, humans are basically colonizers of magic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to phrase it. Mm -hmm. They've come in, they've learned about a resource from the original inhabitants of the land. They then take that resource and power source for themselves and spread out amongst all the lands, pushing the original inhabitants out, killing them, and trying to wipe out their culture. Something about this. <laughs> it seems familiar. And, yeah. and we get, like, bits of this backstory throughout each of these three arcs in this episode, but I think it's most brought into the forefront during Geralt and Jaskier's capture by... The former king, Philavandril, and his retinue, who uh, have Jaskier and Geralt tied up, and they call Geralt a human, and he's like, I'm not a human. 
Like I, I'm also not, you know, he's not quite a human. He's a witcher. Like a witcher is kind of its own thing. He was ostensibly born human, but through the mutations and experimentations that they did on him, he is no longer, he no longer shares all of the physiology of humans. He's not susceptible to the same poisons and illnesses of humans and stuff. And because of that, he is much like elves mistrusted and mistreated by humans in those places part of that is that he can wield magic he has this power source that others don't have and that makes people suspicious now the reason that humans are a little bit more willing to let Geralt like hang out and be in their towns is that he provides a service of, of monster hunting you know, as we saw, that they're willing to hire him to fight a, a devil or whatever. But, you know, he can't just, like, integrate into human society and be left alone. Like, anywhere he goes, he will kind of always have this stigma attached to him that he is not really one of the humans. That's partly what uh, necessitates his constant traveling. But I think it also is kind of inborn within him. He doesn't really want to settle down either. No, of course. I mean, I, I think that years and years of being treated this way and treated as an outsider have kind of made him callous, understandably. It's true. Mutants of all species, I'm pretty sure, are generally looked upon as monsters, right? And so he's not considered to be a human, not a monster monster, but they aren't considered to be of their original species. We've seen that with Geralt and Renfri. Yeah, I was going to say, like, there is this theme throughout the show of, well, you know, for one, who's the real monster here? Yeah. Because Geralt is viewed by members of human society as a freak or an outsider. And who has the right to claim personhood? Yeah, exactly. And but I'm, I mean, I'm it, putting it that way instead of saying who has like humanity because we're not just dealing with humans. So. No, exactly. Right. But Renfrey talks about being a monster or treated as a monster in episode one. It is this constant theme throughout the show, and we, of course, know that man is the real monster. <laughs> it like, seems that way. <laughs> now, so I I want to talk about Jaskier though because he's a human. Obviously. <laughs> um, no, because Jaskier is a human. He's tied up. He's going to be killed by the elves. And Geralt makes a case for him like, this guy's not a shithead. This guy's not the kind of person who is pushing you to the periphery. Let him go. He's a bard. Like, what is he? He's not here to hurt anybody. He's basically saying, like, this guy's open minded. He's not, you know, going to like be a threat to you. I'm willing to die in his place because we know that Geralt is, you know, deep down, like pretty selfless. Yeah, he's kind of a noble warrior. Yeah. Like he doesn't want Jaskier to get caught up in whatever problems come from Geralt's line of work, basically. Right. Because Geralt was hired to kill the quote unquote devil, who we find out is just a Sylvan who is part of like a freedom fighting band. Yeah. They're stealing food from the humans because they've literally been pushed to the brink of starvation. Their people are sick with some kind of uh, 
plague that's, you know, infecting them. We see one of the elven warriors, like, having a coughing fit after Geralt headbutts her. And it seems to be at least partly magical in nature, because when Philavandrel is talking about this sickness as he walks in, he then goes into a kind of a diatribe about how chaos has been corrupted by the humans. Synthetically modified chaos. Yeah. Is an interesting concept. And we don't get a lot of detail about what he means. Yeah, it could be. So it seems like he's indicating that the elves have this intrinsic connection to chaos and the humans altering it is making them fall ill. Yeah, I mean, the elves might be bound to this elemental chaos in a way that, you know, if it's being manipulated by human mages, maybe it's affecting them. Any way you slice it, though, like, the humans are robbing the elves of resources, and it's understandable that Philavandrel's people are trying to feed themselves, because they have no lands of their own in which to raise farms and and keep livestock or anything. So the elves all seem to have at least some connection to chaos. Humans, it's few and far between. It's very rare for a human to have a connection to the chaos. I mean, there were only about 20 other girls at the most in Yennefer's class. So is Yen more powerful with chaos because she's part elven? I think so. She has a a, a more innate connection to it. So because of this, humans have changed this connection from what was a part of life for the elves and like a right of every elf to have connection to this power source into something that's wielded by the elite few and tightly controlled and used to manipulate the course of events for entire kingdoms. And it seems like it's become poison to the elves who once controlled it. And it's slowly killing them off in multiple ways. Yes. Like this magical infection you talked about that's probably linked to some way that the humans are controlling chaos or working with chaos. And then the literal depredation of their food sources and supplies. It's just like a corporation coming in and controlling a natural resource or something that should be given freely to all. Let's say, oh, some crazy fantasy thing like clean water. Right. Nestle would like to know your location. (laughs) They said water wasn't a basic human, right? Then it becomes something that you have to come to them for. And it benefits the elite few at that point and gives them control over everyone else. Yeah. And since we're talking about the elite few, why don't we move into series storyline? Yeah. So in oh. in series storyline, we see her also having this struggle to survive. And, you know, she is running from the Nilfgaardians she is hungry and cold. She doesn't know how to fend for herself. She is about to eat some berries. That would probably make her sick. That probably would have made her sick or killed her. I mean, but yeah, I mean, honestly, when when you are starved and you eat something that makes you sick, it is basically a death sentence. It's because it robs your body even more 
of any nutrients you might be able to attain for yourself. Yeah. So she runs into this young man, who we later find out is named Dara, who isn't speaking to her. And she's not sure why, but she hasn't seen another person in days. So she has got some motor mouth going on, which I totally understand, by the way. Yeah. I, I feel for Siri in this moment. But Dara makes this motion of, like, choking with his hands when she's going for the berries. And she's like, oh, it's poisoned? Okay, cool. He helps her hunt a rat. Mm -hmm. At first, Siri's like, I'm not going to eat that. And then it's like, wait, wait, I'm starving. Like, uh, I changed my mind. Eventually, she finds her way to the Sintrin refugees. Mm -hmm. People from her kingdom. Yeah. Who are fleeing from Nilfgaard. And at the same time, these are the ones who are also, like, saying, oh, it's the elves' fault, and then the Nilfgaardians' fault, too. They are so confused, they don't even know who to blame. They're just throwing hatred left and right. They don't really know what's going on. And Ciri's not really used to being in this situation. Like, she cuts a food line because she's used to being a princess, I think. Yeah. And, and like, she doesn't know that here she doesn't get special treatment. Right. And people kind of put her in her place. <laughs> yeah. And then so I think that this really series perspective on, you know, her own privilege gets kind of pushed to the limits throughout this arc that she's in in this episode, where she gets taken in by this family who is very nice to her because she's this young Sintrin woman. And obviously from noble birth. Yeah. She's wearing a cloak that the husband slash father of this family made, but we find out that he was killed by elves fighting against this elven insurgency. Mm -hmm. So Siri sees, though, how nobility is often held up at the expense of those with less power because there is a dwarf who is in the employ of this family and when, like, the mother of the family sees that Siri's shoes are worn, she forces her servant to give Siri the shoes. Later on, the mother of the family slaps the servant, and he's, like, just had enough. And Siri watches as the servant grabs a knife and stabs this woman to death. And so she's really seeing what happens when you push people so far to the brink that they don't have anything to do except for fight back. Like this, they're they're pushed to have no other opportunities but to basically lash back out at those who lash out at them. Well, she tried to take away his personhood, which is what you're talking about. Exactly. And yes. everybody wants to feel like they have the right to have their own identity and autonomy. And when that's taken away from you, eventually there could be a breaking point. And Siri is seeing how people reach their breaking point. And it's being, it is very illustrative to her about how things work outside of the kind of comfortable, noble life that she was used to. Yes. And keep an eye out on that theme as well. Violence as a resort of having your personhood and autonomy taken away. That theme is a popular one throughout the Witcher series as well. Absolutely. And since that's a popular theme that's carried out throughout the show, another one that I briefly touched on earlier about how mutants aren't considered part of their original species 
we also see that one later on in the series where you see a member of another race that isn't human is also a mutant and they are also considered not part of their own species. So that isn't something else to keep an eye out for as well. Just stuff to keep an eye out for in the series. Yeah. I think it's fun like, hey, see if you can spot this theme in the future. Yeah. When when you notice it, scream at your TV and the satirist will hear you. Oh! <laughs> so I think one last theme that comes up a lot in this episode that we should touch on before we move on is betrayal. And I think the biggest example of this is probably Istrid and Yennefer's kind of betrayal of each other as... Yennefer uses her closeness with Istrid to get the flower from him that Tissaia wants. And at the same time that she's giving that to Tissaia, Istrid is revealing Yennefer's elven heritage to a character that we met in the last episode, Stregobor the wizard, who is a member of this kind of wizard's order that Tissaia and Istrid are a part of. Yes, and betrayal is a major theme for Yennefer in particular. She was betrayed by her family when they sold her into slavery. Absolutely. And she feels kind of betrayed by her teacher and mentor to some extent. And that kind of is a common theme in their relationship. And she then and then with this boy who's her friend uh and potentially more that potentially a more <laughs> she also has this legacy of betrayal in her you know in her backstory where you know her father was killed for being an elf well and all of the elves were betrayed by the humans they had allied with and yeah. shared this source of this kind of basically natural resource of chaos with yeah and that is Philavandril's basically reason for wanting to just kill Geralt and Jaskier because he's like, oh, you're humans. You're just going to come and betray us one way or another. So I might as well kill you both. Right. I mean, I'm sure that mother of that noble family felt betrayed by her servant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but fuck her. Yeah, she treated him like shit. I don't know if she deserved to die for that, but... No, but I mean, we're kind of seeing what happens when people are pushed to the limit. Yeah, that's true. You did kind of preempt that before. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're kind of getting these stories about like life at the periphery of different events. You know, these cataclysmic changes that are going on in the kingdom of Sintra, in the relationship between elves and humans, in Yennefer's life. There's all these upheavals that are going on in each of these vignettes or story arcs for each of these characters where we are seeing what people do when they are when they ha when they don't feel like they have any other options of where they can turn or what they can do. But it's also kind of seeing what people do when they're given a taste of power and how it changes them. Because before Yennefer seemed like she had some camaraderie with her peers, her fellow students. They were encouraging each other in other tests and lessons. 
And she called them her friends at one point. Mm -hmm. But then in the end, she pushed them into the boat. <laughs> yes. Because she, Listen, yes. this she is was... the every friendship ends with turning somebody into an eel and sticking them in a pod. <laughs> because she kind of was told in not so many words by Taseya that she was going to be ascending to power. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a really good point. We are seeing another thing that goes on in reality when somebody is kind of held above everybody else and how it's damaging not just for the people who are compared to another person, but also it's damaging to the person who is held to that high standard. I mean, we talked about it last week when we were talking about the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, with Faramir. Faramir has right. always been the lesser of the two brothers between him and Boromir. And Tissaia is kind of setting up Yennefer in a similar way to how the steward of Gondor set up Boromir, saying, you know, you're the special one, you're the chosen one, you're the one that I'm going to put all my time and effort into. I mean, in the case of Yennefer's storyline, the alternative is literally becoming a power source and being turned into an, e an eel. Yeah. But for Faramir, it was kind of being given these lower positions and always feeling like they'd never live up to the expectations of their parent parental figure. Right. Expectations yeah. can be very damaging. Yeah. It's kind of like setting somebody up to be the golden child and it sets unrealistic expectations for how other people might treat that person or like consider them to be worthy or powerful in their own right it gives them unrealistic expectations for how they will move through the world we'll see how that works out for yennefer in the future yeah whether or not her upbringing will lead to a balanced and well-lived life or maybe something else yeah All right, well, I think that that pretty much wraps up our discussion of The Witcher Season 1, Episode 2. We hope that you've been enjoying our satire TV coverage, I guess is the word, of this series. Um, we've been having a great time sharing our thoughts and digging back into these episodes. Uh, this is a show that the three of us really enjoy, and we've been looking forward to talking about it with everybody. I just got to say, watching the show this time with subtitles has been really helpful for me. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people mumble or they say something so quickly as if you're supposed to know what they're talking about and they're referencing a name in world. And it's just so helpful to have those subtitles. <laughs> I mean, it's also, yeah, the subtitles are great. And it's also a show that very much benefits from a second watch. Yes. Anyway, sure. either way, subtitles are not, but the subtitles are also a great way to, like, know how to spell names. Yeah, true. I think this is probably the fifth time I've seen this episode. So. Wow. It's And I'm still noticing new things, so. Well, I think that's the sign of a well-made show. Yes. I'm just eager to see 
more of Yennefer. She's a very complicated character. Yeah, and I'm always looking forward to seeing more Roach, my favorite character. Yeah, we saw Roach a bit, but... I mean, Roach played a big part in this episode. Carrying Geralt around? Yeah, and then... yeah, uh, You got me doing it. And then Jaskier wanted to jump on Roach, and Geralt's like, don't touch Roach. Nice. So, like, we're we're unpacking this important story of Roach's history through, like, very subtle clues. Yeah, I love that Geralt has such a close affinity with his horse. Do you think Roach will ever get past their uh, disdain for bards? <laughs> I assume that's why Geralt doesn't want Jaskier touching Roach. Yeah. I mean, Geralt, maybe he understands horse. Oh, he might speak the ancient language? Yeah. The ancient equine? <laughs> yeah. That might be a cool Witcher power that he gets. I am interested in, as we go, learning more about magic, how it works, and if we get any more tidbits about the Elder Tongue and Elder forms of magic, which... Based on the associations and context clues, it's basically elven forms of magic. Yes. The elves in this episode are speaking elder. Mm -hmm. And um, Istrid uses an elder form of magic to create portals. Oh man, do you think Geralt uses the equine magic tongue to summon Roach in the video game? Is that why whenever you call Roach, they're just there immediately? That would be so epic. Is it like a magic nice. is it a magical horse portal? Maybe. Oh man. Do you think we're gonna get to see a horse portal in the show? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, if only. Alright, well we'll leave you with that thought. <laughs> um, <laughs> as always, if you enjoy our show, maybe consider following us on social media at Swords and Satire so you can keep up with our future episodes, what movies we'll be covering week to week, and all that other uh, fun tidbits that we post on there. Yeah, and if you have the means and you would like to become a supporter of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash swordsandsatire and become one of our patrons. There are different tiers, and we offer perks and exclusive content for each tier. And you'll also get to vote on the movies that we watch each month. And if you have further serious inquiries, you can email us at swordsandsatire at gmail.com. But if you don't have anything you want to say to us and you don't want to pay any money, you could always just tell your friends about us. <laughs> it's a fun way to spread the show and to have people to talk with it about. We'd appreciate it, and I'm sure your friends would too. That's the hope. Yeah, friends love us. <laughs> yes. But hey, until next time. Hail, Hail Crom.